0: This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank.
1: Hello, this is Fong Lee, CFO of MicroStrategy, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast.
0: This is episode 368.
2: only sees about 5% of the data that's collected. In other words, 95% of the data that's collected by organizations does not bear in to the leadership decision-making process. That's a huge opportunity cost. And in that data, we have found time and time again the gems of wisdom that excel these companies into order of magnitude better performance. But you can't get there if you're trying to hide all this data and only leadership can see it, etc.
0: From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. On today's show, Performance Management Thought Leader. Brett Knowles joins us to explore the concept of open book management, where companies achieve new levels of employee engagement by sharing more information, more numbers, to help us highlight how organizations are leveraging open book management, I'll be asking Brett about the innovative strategies currently being championed by two of our CFO Thought Leader guests, Mike Foley, CFO of Unity Technologies, and Fong Li, CFO of MicroStrategy. You won't wanna miss what Brett has to say about these two innovative finance leaders. We begin right after these words from our sponsor. finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Hello everyone, it's Jack Sweeney and Brett Knowles is here with me. Brett, how have you been? Jack, you know I'm happy to be here. How have you been recently? Doing well, Brett. And I, I, I need to give you a proper introduction uh, to our CFO thought leader audience. Some of you might recall we featured Brett as a guest in the past, uh, and. He is a longtime thought leader in the performance management space. He has assisted and advised over 3,000 organizations from around the world in every industry. Uh, So he brings some highly informed and thought-provoking observations to our discussions. Over the last year, some of the finance leaders we've featured on CFO Thought Leader, I, I, I would find myself asking the question, wow, I wonder what Brett would make of this strategy or, or this leadership initiative that was being introduced or talked about by a different finance leader. And so I looked forward to producing this episode or one just like it. Um, and I, I think you'd uh, it's going to leave you with a good deal to think about. Another uh, development that prodded me in this direction was the fact that over the last year, There was one book that our finance leader guests recommended twice as many times as any other book. And the book was 25 years old. So take it back to 1992. 1992, when the Internet was not yet commercialized, when data mining uh, or data intelligence was in its infancy, and when, of course, there were no millennials, (laughs) or at least they were little leaguers if there were – but in my mind, how could it happen that a 25-year-old book is top of mind with CFOs today? And, well, I believe it has everything to do with transparency and with a concept known as open book management, something that uh, Brett Knowles um, has spent a good deal of his time studying and advising business leaders on. So, anyway, we're real pleased, Brett, to have you with us. And what, what do you make of um, – Uh, my revelation about uh, the great game of business becoming a favorite among finance leaders in 2017?
2: I think it's resonated from the time it was written. I mean, there are huge gatherings every year of people that support open book management and they continue to evolve the ideas and the thought processes involved in it. And I think what's interesting about open book management is Uh, It's it's quite the opposite to the paradigm of accounting. We always think of accountants as having these secrets and all sorts of information they don't share and and stuff like that. And it's pushing the pendulum in the opposite direction. And it's indicating that if people had better access to this information, they could make better decisions.
0: So what I thought would be interesting would be to share with you and our, our listeners, of course, two finance leaders Who have revealed sort of their own uh, transparency strategies uh, with us or shared them with us recently and um, uh, explore uh, what they're up to with you?
2: Well, I think we should probably wait till you're recording before I begin speaking or we'll have nothing left to talk about.
0: Okay, so I'm going to key up our first finance leader. Now, this is Mike Foley, he's CFO of Unity Technologies.
3: role itself, um, you know, I was excited to come over to to Unity, join the old, uh, the the prior CEO of Electronic Arts, who's now the CEO of Unity. Uh, He brought me over, uh, trusted me with this role, uh, and I was excited to be able to, you know, bring uh, not just the financial orientation that all CFOs can bring, but also to be a really kind of strategic thought partner uh, alongside him and with the rest of the management team. Um, because we've been guiding this company on an incredibly fast growth path with very high levels of investment in some areas that you know, are uncharted territory, as you mentioned, with VR and AR in particular. And I think that takes much more than you know, financial analysis to be able to guide a company in, in, in that direction. And i was really excited to be able to bring my experience in, in strategic planning and M&A to the, the CFO role, uh, put those two skill sets together because um, I think that's really what what is needed to, to be successful for for this kind of company. I, I mean, I think one thing that uh, maybe cuts across, like uh, something that that I chose to do that that had a really big impact on the company. Um, it, 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 and, it, and it may be a little a little counterintuitive um, I joined a company here you know the unity a couple of years ago that is an incredibly mission driven company people work here really uh, like I've never seen anywhere else to, to fulfill the mission of for us democratizing development um, meaning putting these really powerful game engine tools in the hands of anybody whether they can pay for it or not and, and most cases uh, people who use Unity don't pay for it. Where where that gets interesting of course is as the CFO needing, you know, and it's important that we can drive revenue of the business and you know the danger at the margin is that those two conflict with each other Uh, and many companies face this uh, at times, how do we do the right thing by all of the users of our products while making sure that we can grow the revenue line. The most important thing I did to 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 kind of inform that internal debate within the company, oddly enough, was just radical transparency on our financials um, in a way that I really didn't expect to do coming in or it to be to ever do as a CFO. I sent every board deck with every single thing in it to everybody in the company, with a, a deep commentary on the financial position of each of our products you know, what, you know, how many, what percentage of our customers pay us. And, and it, it changed the debate uh, within the company on, on how we do things from almost like a, you know, religious debate, uh, you know, to, to actually an informed debate. Um, where you've got 1400 people who have all the information that the board has and more uh, starting to talk about how to bring these two almost competing ideals of, of building a strong business and, and and putting these powerful tools in the hands of as many people as possible to, to, to bringing most people towards the center of thinking about how to you know work those two together versus you know sort of being strongly religious on some some people were saying make our product free, for example. Well, now they understand that that's not practically feasible. Uh, looking at the you know the, the business, uh, others uh, you know wanted to to you know make it much more expensive, for example, and they, they understand that we want to grow our market share. So it's really made our our 1,400 people at the company informed consumers of financial information. To, to actually make much better decisions at all levels of the company. Um, there's obviously a risk to being that radically transparent, um, but I have to say that the benefits of informing everybody in the company at all levels to that level of depth has far outweighed the risks that I perceive um, of, for example, that information leaking outside the company. So um, it's not really an aha moment per se, but, the, the, the response I got to sending that debt information to everybody in the company has been extremely positive and, and really has in, elevated the discussion within the company on, on how we run and how, how we make decisions. Um, but, but you're also responsible for managing the risk, which it would seem that
0: even uh, for competitive intelligence reasons, 1,400 people have this deck that pretty much probably reveals the company's strategy overall. Is there, And again, I'm sure this has been debated, and the thought was there's just too much positive energy that comes from this. Am I characterizing this crazy, or is there a... Uh, oh,
3: that's right. Uh, I'm that's on that's a page with exactly. you. You're, you're exactly right. Now, I, I don't know if the, the, what, I, what I'm doing here is, is uh, you know, like a, a replicable lesson learned for every company. I think there's an element here that... Our competitive landscape um, certainly, you know, there's there's competitive intelligence in those those decks that lots of companies would be interested in. But you know, frankly speaking, we've got one serious competitor uh, in our in our market. Uh, you know, you mentioned we're 70% AR and VR development. We're you know close to half of games in the world are made on Unity today. So we, we, we have a, a position whereby there's really, you know, frankly one company that I would not like that deck to get in the hands off, uh, and, and most others. Uh, it's it's really the the risk that we're taking as a company isn't to do with market forces or competitors as much as it is to do with the heavy level of execution that we have to do. And I think that does influence, um, you know, my willingness to be more open with the information um, because really at the end of the day, we've got to line up and execute and if we do, we'll do well. You know, VR and AR is going to evolve as a market. If we can maintain our position in that market, we're going to do well. That's all execution, but it needs to be informed. Everyone needs to be informed so we're all pulling in the same direction. So it's a calculated risk and, you know, maybe we'll talk in a year and I'll be taking myself kicking
0: up that clip he touches on the fact that uh, you know we should circle back with him to see uh, if uh, he's happy with the uh, the results of what he's up to there in what he refers to as radical transparency. What do you make of uh, Mike's take and uh, is it as radical as, as uh, his title suggests?
2: I don't know if it is as radical, but I certainly think his thinking is radical. He's a a finance person who entered in the organization through the the finance window, and uh, he understands, obviously, all the financial implications of what he's doing. What I thought was interesting is by, like, the third sentence, he's talking about Unity as being this mission-driven company. Now, we think of mission-driven companies as, uh, you know, uh, the United Nations and uh, Oxfam and, and organizations like that. Not a for-profit organization, but he sees with passion this mission—mission mission about getting powerful development tools in everyone's hand. And so, even though it's a for-profit business, he has this you know, strong view about missions and about the culture it takes to be uh, an organization with purpose. And I think that was uh, intriguing. I think it's also interesting how he identifies that the financials with a commentary create informed debates and elevate the discussions inside the organization. So not only is he looking at culture, but he's looking at people's thought processes and trying to make this part of their daily habit to have those informed debates. Do you think he'll be successful in modifying the behaviors? I think that he he will be hugely successful. I don't know if he recognizes it or not, but he, and the irony here is he's in an organization that uh, provides tools to build online gaming. Now, online gaming, or in fact any gaming, uh, plays on our intrinsic motivators. No one gets paid to play an online game. They do it because it's self-satisfying. It's intrinsically motivating. In our jobs, we're X. intrinsically motivated. Our boss gives us money, and that's supposed to be our motivation, as external, as extrinsic. Internal uh, motivators in the business world, if you read Daniel Pink's book and other research, there's basically five things that drive us as employees. Purpose. We need to understand our purpose. And, and again, in an online game, we understand the purpose. Now, in, uh, in this case, Mike talks about using the financials to describe what that purpose is. Mastery. Mastery is all about practicing what we do and get better at it. Online gaming, you keep repeating that level till you're good at it. And he talks about people having these bi-weekly conversations that, that not only gives you mastery, his ongoing, his radical transparency hits the third intrinsic motivator, which is about progress. We need to be able to see that we're making progress. And you cannot do that if you don't share the financials. That radical transparency is imperative in online gaming, it's also imperative in game mechanics applied to business. And then the fifth one is socialization. Socialization is we need to, your, your kids when they play online games, they talk about it amongst themselves, whether it's chat groups or when they're together. He does that with these ongoing meetings. Now, Jack Stack talks about the same thing, those ongoing meetings. Uh, Sean Covey, in his book, The Four Disciplines of Execution, one of the four disciplines is about those ongoing meetings. So it's interesting that it's a gaming company that enables gamers, and they're applying those same game mechanics on how they manage themselves.
0: Okay. We have another uh, finance leader we'd like to share now. Uh, I thought it was interesting how Mike talked about having this deck of slides. You, you know, it's almost like this, this physical deck of slides that's being shared widely. Um, our next uh, finance leader is also talks about sharing information. Uh, but in some ways, he gives us a little greater detail how that uh, information is being shared. You'll hear from Fong Lee. CFO of MicroStrategy, and Brett's take on the finance leaders' innovative approaches. After these words from our sponsor, you want smart year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middlemarket. Yeah, well,
1: my, my vision when I entered microstrategy strategy in finance is not much different than my vision anywhere in finance, and part of what uh, I talk to a lot of CFOs about, and uh, part of what software has done for organizations in general, which is transition... Uh, the view of finance from traditional, what I'll call a data steward, to really helping the company as a business partner be a digital disruptor. Um, we make all our metrics transparent to the whole company, and we put them up on big TV screens all across our headquarters building, and you see reports and dashboards. So um, it, it's this back to my point, when I started with finance, uh, you know, our finance team believes that every number should be shared with everybody unless it's material non-public information. Um, but uh, we want results up and around everywhere. It creates competition, it creates transparency, and uh, it creates a knowledge of all parts of the business.
0: Is that was that part of the culture uh, before you arrived? And and just curious as to. Uh what you observed, if it was there before you arrived, I'm wondering what you observed culturally how the company may have been different from your prior companies you had been part of it, it, it wasn't here before
1: I arrived and it was something that myself with the leadership team thought was very important, right, we uh, in fact we went through an exercise a couple of years ago where we decided what our core company values are and we have five of them we have engaged, precise, agile, transparent, and cheer- cheerful. But we consciously decided that one of our values is transparency, right? And, and so we had to really create that. We had to create dashboards and reports that everybody can see. So uh, before I get on a call with a business unit leader, I know, I know that that leader has a report that we're going to refer to. And I look pull it up and I look at it for half an hour before I get on the call. And so we're all in the same standing as to the results. And so the conversation I have with the business leader isn't really about the results. It's about what can we do to make the business better, which is really what conversations should be about, right? Like that, that, that the numbers themselves should be at your fingertips, transparent and agile, agile being they're ready all the time and always updated so that you don't spend the first half hour of every meeting debating over the numbers, right? I remember in previous organizations, half the time I'm talking, it's, hey, you know, your revenue is X, and, and, and then the business unit will be, yeah, that's what you have, but you know, I put together this analysis in Excel and, and then I stuck it in a PowerPoint and I put some words around it. Let me tell you why it's not really X, it's X plus Y. And so you may think I'm not doing well, but I'm actually doing awesome. And we spend the whole time debating whether the numbers are right as opposed to how do we improve the business. And, and I would say that's, that's part of what a lot of companies struggle with still today. Uh, with the advent of analytics, uh, and the democratization of analytics. A lot of times what I'll see in different organizations is people excited about the analysis and the number and the graph and the pretty chart and the report. And they'll spend hours and hours making sure the axes are perfect. And, but they're not really talking about what to do to fix the business. They're just showing a new analysis. Uh, and so that's part of the culture too, uh, is the transparent information leads to quicker decision-making. And that's what this is all about when you when you get down to the bottom of it, being a business leader or uh, being an analytics company. It's helping better and faster decisions get made.
0: The type of information you described that's being displayed on, on screens, uh, are these like in waiting areas? Is this like where people might gather and have an opportunity to observe them? Are they on elevators? Or I'm, I'm just wondering if you could illustrate that better for us. I imagine... These same screens display all type of information, and you're just a filtering sort of a finance snapshot uh, ever so often into it. Is it something like that?
1: Yeah, so imagine a building where we have nine floors, and in every floor in the elevator bank, there's a TV that scrolls through a set of 150 slides and KPIs uh, that we change every two weeks. Um, and then if you were to walk into the technology area, there's a nine-screen, 50 there's, you know, nine 57-inch TVs that form a wall where people gather around and have discussions about metrics. And, and it's, it's an informal meeting place that has a couch sitting in front of it. And imagine replicating that TV across our nine floors. And our executive floor, we get the grandiose 12-TV version, which is even bigger than that. And each TV is a different set of dashboards and metrics. And we have meeting rooms that are reserved for sales, reserved for services, and outside each meeting room is the current stats for that particular department. Um, So they're they're everywhere in the building, first of all, and they're custom-specific content to uh, the place that they sit, right? In the elevator bank, you have sort of news about the company and, and, and changes, you know, in the business, and we distribute that around to our over 20 offices all around the world too. Uh, but then you get to a department floor, and they have department-specific metrics and information. And on the executive floor, you see everything.
0: Is customer satisfaction part of that as well?
1: Customer satisfaction, case backlog, time, you know, uh, to, time to response, time to fix are, are big customer support metrics. That if you go to the fourth floor, where a customer support team sits, they have those metrics all over the place, and they know exactly how they're doing any particular day.
0: I pushed on him a little bit because I really wanted to understand better how they're disseminating this information or making it, you know, getting in front of the rank and file with the numbers. How are they doing it? And, uh, you know, he he served it up nicely, I thought. But what do you think of uh, Fang Li's approach and and his sort of philosophy as a a leader?
2: Well, uh, there are a couple of data points that really stick out for me. Early in his interview with you, he talked about, uh, in this great quote, the transition from data steward to business partner. You know, How do we as CFOs make that transition from just being a scorekeeper or purveyor of data to a business partner that he describes a digital disruption? I, I, I'm not quite sure what he means by that, but he goes on to talk about uh, an environment where they improve the knowledge, the business acumen. Employees. And again, just like with Mike at Unity, he very quickly moves into culture. If you remember, he quickly rattles off the five cultural attributes engaged, precise, agile, transparent, and cheerful. I thought it was interesting that as a CFO, you know, he stepped over the line. He understands the person side of the equation. And transparent, he highlights, is one of those values. And it's all about enabling quicker decision-making and allowing people to fix the business. So I thought it was interesting that transition from CFO to business partner, the quick movement from business partner to culture, and then looping it back to about quicker decision-making.
0: Both these companies happen to be technology companies. Are technology companies out in front in many ways just because of their comfort with data? And their ability
2: to move it. Well, that could be partway through the conversation. Feng Li talks about, of course, these the omnipresent data. You know, there's screens everywhere, and I thought that was interesting. You you can't escape from it. It's not a periodic updates. It's you know, ongoing, near real time, every single floor in the nine floors, plus you know, a special helping in the executive level. But what I thought was absolutely intriguing is he talks about 150 slides. 150 slides are produced every two weeks that are put up on these screens. So, uh, what's there? 150 slides. That's a lot of numbers I'm shoving at people, and every two weeks. You know, some of my clients are lucky if they they talk to their their employees once a year. Uh, once a quarter seems phenomenal. Once a month is incredible. But these guys are doing it every fortnight. It's an unbelievable. It, what do you call it transparency, openness, access, is just this omnipresent conversation about data. Now, it may be because they are technology, but I don't, I wouldn't rely on that. We go to many sales forces, which are also just data-driven. Now, the selling process is a data-rich environment. There's this data coming everywhere, number of contacts and how rich they are on closing ratios and profitability by customer and sales rep and region and stuff. But in those environments, they thrive on the data as well. So, these guys have been clear. I think, Jack, it's all about the culture. Once you build that culture, then the information is warmly received.
0: And the question that uh, surfaces in my mind is that: Is there a new? Uh, I would use the word alignment being achieved uh, between culture and transparency, greater transparency. And in regards to the millennials, um, is this a sort of a cultural attribute, transparency, that they plan to, well, we should expect that they'll bring into the future, into the upper ranks of management as they continue to advance?
2: Well, um, you made two points there, so I'm going to focus on the millennials first. So, Jack, that's a great point about the millennials. I've thought about this a lot, and our clients have all sorts of age categories, and we work with clients like Unity and um, uh, MicroStrategy all the time. And the issue is that millennials aren't asking for anything that you or I would also not ask for. The problem is we've had 20, 30 years in the industry of not having that, and we think that's the norm. But that isn't the norm. Uh, We now have the availability of data and the technology ability to make it available. And, gosh, we would all love to have that 20 years ago. We didn't have it. So the millennials aren't asking for anything that we wouldn't want, nor are they asking for anything that we cannot deliver. I think the two most important points about what both Fong and Mike have shared with us is, uh, first off, we don't need to keep the financial numbers top secret. That's been our, our legacy, our, our albatross that we've had based on how we were brought up in business. But that doesn't make good business sense in anyone's book. So get over it. Understand that there's nothing wrong with sharing the data. Secondly, we obviously have to educate and support people so that they understand how to interpret that data. But that's also not a barrier. The barrier is about the culture, about the mindset, both from the leadership team that's used to keeping this as a top secret, and the uh, employee uh, you know that's been browbeaten, uh, you know, here's the irony: in the good old days, you and I, uh, back when we were young bucks, there's this phrase about information is power. We used to think if we hoarded information, it made us more powerful. And that is the fact in the tangible asset world. The way I make I, you know to beers makes diamonds more valuable is not by making more of them, by making less of them. They buy all the diamond mines, but they don't necessarily harvest all the diamonds. They artificially constrain access, which pushes the price up. That's the old economics model. That doesn't work in the knowledge-creating environment, if you read Nanaket, the knowledge-creating company. The issue here is abundance. So if you and I, Jack, knew all this stuff, and we interviewed all these great people but never shared it with your listeners, that's you know information is power on restricting access. But we would create so much less wealth then you're able to create by abundantly sharing the wisdom of these other CFOs. So in the knowledge industry, you can only create value by abundantly sharing them. It's completely opposite to how you and I were brought up. So this idea of transparency and sharing is actually how they create value. Because now I'm not dealing with one brain, the CEO making decisions or the CFO. Everyone can make the same decision. And we all have equal insight, but different intelligence. So we get way more intelligence applied to the problem. So I'm suggesting this is the right way to do business. And it's a shame that you and I were brought up in all the wrong traditions, but hopefully it's not too late to teach old dogs new tricks.
0: Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to refuse to end on that last comment and instead ask you one more question. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I would think companies, whether they're public or private, uh Transparency can be tricky in different ways, Uh, but uh, trickier for one than the other, perhaps?
2: Um, I suspect it's more difficult public because you have SEC regulations that you have to work around. There's only so much you can share uh, without uh, getting into some serious trouble. The private sector doesn't share information only, uh, well, just because there is no regulation or rule. That's just been the tradition. And, Sometimes uh, it's actually harder to break tradition than it is uh, regulations, it turns out. But uh, I think both of them have their own difficulties in doing so. But in both instances, there's always information, way more information that could be shared than what is shared. Now, we did some research back with IBM about 15 years ago, and we discovered that the average leadership team itself only sees about 5% of the data that's collected. In other words, 95% of the data that's collected by organizations does not bear in to the leadership decision-making process. That's a huge opportunity cost. And in that data, we have found time and time again the gems of wisdom that excel these companies into order of magnitude, better performance. But you can't get there if you're trying to hide all this data and only leadership can see it, et cetera.
0: I have to believe that going forward, more companies that have perhaps uh, been somewhat secretive with the numbers in the past are going to begin experiencing some pain, or their cultures are going to pay a price for that. Because talent is going to react to uh, not being able to be informed, to understand why certain tasks are mission critical all of a sudden. Employees want to know. So are there steps that you can recommend for uh, companies that have been traditionally, perhaps, use the word secretive in regards to certain data points and numbers?
2: Uh, of course, there are. Um, but here's another interesting thing: we did a study for uh, the Association of Family-Owned Businesses some time ago, and we, what we did is we we challenged that thought process about you know all this information that was secret and how the employees just uh, were left in the dark, and we asked. Uh, organizations that that were privately held and thought they were keeping their data secret. We surveyed the employees for what they thought things were like revenue, profitability, number of customers, best products, all the things that we know as we do cost accounting and and, uh, profitability, and they were, on average, 78% accurate. In other words, even though it's all been kept secret, 78% of the organization could tell us what their revenue was and profitability was by product, by customer. And what's interesting is that was a higher number than leadership could tell us. So the people working in the trenches, they have all sorts of data. Like I just said, 95% of the data doesn't even get to the leadership. They have enough data to join the dogs. So we think we're keeping a big secret from them, but the secret is they already know. So that's just a reflection of your first part. It's actually not a secret. In terms – though of the problem, the problem is a perception that we're keeping a secret is, yes, we need to take small steps. And the small steps are about, I think, allowing leadership to see that nothing bad comes from sharing this data. So share a little bit and see if we can make better decisions. And if that does work, then let's share a little bit more. Now, there's always stuff that you're not going to share in any company, things like salaries perhaps, but there's all sorts of stuff that you can share that allows people to have a clear view of where we're going and but it's small steps perfect Brett I'm afraid we have to end it there Jack once again this has been a fascinating conversation it's always interesting when we get the chance to, to hear the inner thinking of different executives and this has been particularly insightful when we've got two similar but different men talking about uh, data transparency thanks Brett good luck tomorrow Jack I great week, and I look forward to the next time we have a conversation.
0: Thank you for listening. And don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.